At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Stella Otto, author of The Backyard Orchardist, to talk about her experience with fruit trees. Stella got her first taste of fruit growing during annual family outings to Yupik orchards in western Massachusetts. After receiving a BS in horticulture from Michigan State University, she worked at one of the largest fruit tree nurseries in the U.S., then a major tart cherry orchard near Traverse City, Michigan, as well as in her own diversified fruit farm in northern Michigan. Stella has authored two books, the award-winning The Backyard Orchardist, A Complete Guide to Growing Fruit Trees in the Home Garden, and The Backyard Berry Book, A Hands-On Guide to Growing Berries, Brambles, and Vine Fruit in a Home Garden. She can also be found cultivating fruit gardening information on her blog, The Backyard Fruit Gardener, at StellaAutto.com. She has written freelance articles for numerous magazines, appeared on the Discovery Channel, how cool is that, and been interviewed on national public radio and other gardening radio programs. Stella presently cultivates a fruitful family garden and enjoys her horses and cats on a 10-acre homestead in northern Michigan. Welcome to the show today, Stella. Hi, Greg. It's great to be with you and good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Well, you kind of gave the overview. I guess the reality is my schooling started with the idea that I was going to go to vet school and become a large animal veterinarian. So I ended up with a very fundamental and broad base in biology, chemistry, and biochemistry that eventually allowed me to understand a lot of what was going on with both growing the fruit trees and managing the pests and all of that. When vet school didn't work out, I changed my major to horticulture and eventually down the road discovered that I could simplify complex subjects for folks and people were asking me to write what was originally the Backyard Orchardist and then later the Backyard Berry Book, and here we are. Fantastic. So it's actually possible then, and I kind of ask you this in a sideways manner because I do a lot of fruit trees here in Phoenix, but it's actually possible then to grow berries and fruits in our yards. Oh, most definitely. Absolutely. And. And how did you get to the place? So you've written two books. You wrote The Backyard Orchardist and The Backyard Berry Book, both of which I have and I've actually loved for years. How did you, you're welcome. How did you get to the place of actually writing those? Tell me me that story a little bit more in depth. 
what happened, my husband and I had owned our own um, orchard for 10 years, and unfortunately, politics intervened, Reaganomics came along, and as young farmers, suddenly we found ourselves being asked to go out into the commercial market and finance our farm at 16% interest, oh. and we did the math mm -hmm. and went, you know, that's not viable. We need to diversify our family income, and by then we had one child already, so we needed to provide for him, of course, too. And we decided, unfortunately, to give up the commercial orchard. My husband continued as a manager for a large cherry operation here, and I took some of my marketing skills from the farm market and also some of the graphic design skills and frankly just ended up in the right place at the right time, heard someone talking about self-publishing books and how gardening books and how-to books were very, very popular at the time. And a light bulb kind of went off and I went, you know, all those questions people keep asking me about how do I grow my trees that I are on this property that I bought because we're here in a rural area. Uh -huh. I said, those need to be a book. Nice. And so it was one of those cases of just, do it. Just do it. Oh, very good. So when was that? Yep. That was back in 1991, 92, oh when I gosh. got started. So these books have been out a while. Yes, yes, they have. They've, they've had a very long and thankful to all the nice supporters, uh, you know, a good and popular life. And just this Earlier this year, I came out with a revised edition of The Backyard Orchardist for the first time because, of course, over the last 20, 25 years, um, there are things that have changed. We have a lot more you know, environmental awareness and a uh -huh. lot more techniques available to grow fruit with less or minimal pesticides. Um, there have been new pests that have emerged that were not in the picture 20 years ago. Um, right. So I felt all those pieces of information needed to get out there. and. So we have a, a revised edition of the book out now. Fantastic. And that's uh, published with Chelsea Green? They they distribute it, so they make sure it gets into the bookstores. I am actually the person that publishes it. Oh, congratulations. So you're still self-publishing. Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm frankly a strong believer in self-sufficiency all the way. And I've been fortunate that over the years I have the necessary skills to put the books together and mark them and find obviously some freelancers that helped with certain aspects of them, yeah. illustration and editing and that kind of thing. But yeah, I've pretty much taken the project on and can can make it what it needs to be to, to serve home gardeners. Perfect. So I'm just going to tell our listeners out there, I've actually, I've known of this book for at least a decade and a half, maybe even two decades. And I, I really love it. So if you're interested in growing you know, backyard, front yard fruit. Uh, in fact, here at the Urban Farm, I have, I don't know, about 45 fruit trees in our front yard. Uh, this is a really good book to get. So there's, there's a plug for you, Stella. Thank you. So, I appreciate that. Absolutely. So what are the best ways to get fruit trees growing in a home garden if, you know, if somebody hasn't ever done this before? Well, one of the first things that people need to realize is they should prepare themselves. A lot of times... People come to me and they go, oh, I went to the, you know, mass market store or I happened to see some trees and I bought them and I plunked them in my yard, usually where they had lawn. Um, it's very important to actually prepare your site, possibly test your soil, but make sure that you have created a very hospitable, weed-free site, hopefully enhanced with a bunch of organic matter and compost so that you can get your fruit trees off to a good start because 
that's one of the key things to success. You're, you're better off if you need to spend a year to really prepare your soil and then put that tree into a good, healthy growing climate as opposed to bringing the tree home and then going, oh, now what? Right. Right. And, and, and given, given my extensive fruit tree background, I'm going to kind of throw something in here too. know where you're getting your trees from. I think that's a really important piece too, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's one thing that I encourage people to be a little bit fussy about. Sure, you can go down to the local big box store and they'll have sort of a generic selection, but I really prefer to get my fruit trees from a, a specialty nursery that either specializes in just fruit trees and berry bushes or at least a very knowledgeable nursery or I know you yourself have developed that wonderful program there in Phoenix where people can order trees through you and you obviously are going to a top-notch nursery and also offering the appropriate varieties for your local area and that's something that people need to, to keep in mind because going to a good source or a good nursery you can get a lot of information from them to help you choose the best trees for your yard so that you can get off to a successful start rather than one that doesn't, you know, fulfill your Doesn't become fruitful? Yes, yes, (laughs) indeed. Doesn't become fruitful. There you go. So a couple of things about that. It's uh, an interesting observation that I had, and I know you'll have something to say about this. So I recently went to one of the big box stores for another reason, and I always check in with the nursery departments if they have one. And in this particular big box store, there was a, a bunch of potted fruit, and the tag on the peach tree simply said peach. Peach, yes. Peach. So talk to me about that. You know, I do exactly what you do, and I've had exactly the same experience. And unfortunately, that doesn't give the homeowner any information, really, in terms of, you know, does this peach tree need a long season or to mature its fruit? Is it going to be a dwarf tree, or is it going to be a tree that's way too big for their yard? Mm-hmm. A lot of the, you know, big box stores, obviously, they order in mass through their distribution system. Usually, their selection is based on where can they find the cheapest trees, and sometimes, honestly, they are seconds from commercial orchards after, or the commercial nurseries after they have sold the top-rate trees to their commercial growers who have had them on order and the big box stores kind of get the leftovers yeah where then that's one of the reasons that i advocate going straight to a good nursery and you know there are a number of online as well as sort of the old-fashioned way still have catalogs that specialize in fruit and there you're going to get your top quality tree they're going to tell you what variety it is they're going to tell you what it needs in terms of the climate that it grows well in, the season that it'll, you know, need to mature and have nice, fresh, tasty fruit. There's a wealth of information when you deal with somebody that specializes that, yeah. that unfortunately a, a big distribution system just doesn't give you. Well, and the they th- just give you peach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and the thing I want to point out about that is that there are, how many varieties of peaches are there? Hundreds. Maybe even, th- <laughs> I couldn't even maybe even thousands, yeah, right? I was going to say, I couldn't even put a number on it for you because there are new varieties coming out also. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that peach tree 
could be the kind of peach that would belong in Minnesota and could be the kind of peach that would grow in Phoenix, but we don't know by reading that label. So what's the difference? You were, you were recently here at the Urban Farm. You came and visited, and uh-huh. um, you, you, you realized that, or we noticed that there was this huge climate difference uh, between you know, where you're at in Michigan and where we're at in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, yeah, obviously. We're, we're almost like uh, two different poles here. Exactly. <laughs> you know, things, for example, I'll start with Michigan because obviously that's where I have my greatest experience. Things that we look for and that are important here are, first of all, winter hardiness of a tree. Can it withstand the cold of our winters? We also look at does it bloom early in the season or not? Because if it blooms too early, we are still susceptible to a frost for at least another month. And this, as we're talking, this is April. We're susceptible to frost until almost Memorial Day. So we don't want a fruit tree that will, say, be in full bloom in the middle of April. Because in all likelihood, we're not going to get fruit because it's going to be damaged by a frost. Right. Whereas, in contrast, in your area in Arizona... You want to look for trees usually that are considered what we call low chill trees because fruit trees do need a rest period where they can go into dormancy and that rest is acquired at temperatures below 32 degrees in the, you know, a range there between about 25 and 35 degrees. And in Arizona, where of course your spring arrives much earlier than ours, Those, those trees, if they require a long chilling period, say three or four months, you may not have enough cold to satisfy them, and they will not bloom properly as a result. So you want right. to pick the ones that are adapted for the length of both cold and how cold your climate happens to be, whether that be Michigan or Arizona or somewhere in between. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's really what I was getting at with that peach at the big box store. It could have been, you know, it could have been one of a thousand different varieties of peaches, and you just don't know. Yeah, you have, you have no way, honestly, of knowing anything about it. It's, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, if you go to the Humane Society and you pick up a stray cat, <laughs> you don't know anything about that poor animal's history. Yeah. And going to the big box store and getting a generic tree, you don't either. You, you don't. You don't even know if it's an appropriate tree for your climate. It may not be. Yeah. I experience that here very often because our big box stores carry, for example, strawberry varieties that are suited to California. <laughs> I know. Isn't that wild? How, yeah, how out of place could that be in Michigan? Yeah. When, you know, I've gone to the big boxes and I've said, you know, excuse me, why are you doing this? And basically the answer I've always gotten is, well, that's what corporate sends us. So Yes, and that is that is true. That is exactly what happens because I did, you know, early in my horticultural career, I worked for a large commercial tree fruit nursery and, you know, went through the whole process from the time those trees were propagated to the fact that they were dug, stored, sorted, and shipped to various places. And honestly, some of them that got mixed up or whatever, they went in the the bin that got labeled peach, and because <laughs> exactly. nobody wanted to figure out what they, what were, they were, even though they were color coded, you know. Yeah. Um, and and those were the ones that got sent off really cheap to those you know retail outlets that just wanted to sell a very inexpensive tree, but yeah. with no information to go with it. Yeah. And you know the the downside to that is if you don't if you don't know what you're getting up front and you plant it you know, five years later, you could get no fruit and 
you know, I've had that happen to me at the urban farm. And so, oh yeah, exactly. And you know, that's that's a long time to wait to then find out that you're going to be disappointed and have to start over. So it's, exactly, like I said earlier, you know, educate yourself, inform yourself, and then go to a good source, a reliable for quality, healthy trees. Perfect. Even if it means that you pay a little bit more for them, because in the end, those trees will grow faster. They will be what you want. You'll be successful with them. They'll do well in your climate, and you'll be able to enjoy your fruit much sooner. Perfect. Perfect. So can you give me some tips about growing fruit trees in your yard? The first thing that I would suggest to anybody that is starting new is start small. Um, you know, don't don't get the wide-eyed stare of, I want one of everything. Um, it's best to start with just a few um, and learn mm. by doing, frankly. Um, you'll learn what the tree needs in terms of water, in terms of fertilizer, how to prune the tree properly, what pests may or may not be a problem. And as you learn those things, then, you know, every year maybe add a few more trees. Um, many people, especially with pruning, they're always timid to prune the tree. They're afraid <laughs> that that's going to damage the tree. Yep. And so in the beginning, people are very conservative in the amount that they prune their tree, but once you've done some pruning and you've seen the results of a well-pruned tree, then you can apply that to, you know, more trees as you add them to your yard, and you'll, you'll see the results in better production, better quality fruit. A tree that is well-pruned also allows more air circulation, so often you have less problems with fungus diseases if you're in a damp or rainy climate. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good to sort of start small, work your way up, and, and learn as you go. And, you know, the more educated you become, a little bit more along the way, experiment maybe with the fruit that you haven't tried before or one that's a little more finicky in your climate or whatever it might be. Perfect. So can we talk about – I have two peach trees that are outside my office here. Uh, and remember the ones that were tall in, up against my office? And uh-huh. I don't know with when you were here, they were loaded with fruit or the buds were coming on, but right they, now... They had, all, yep, they had already started to set some fruit. They yep. were just a little beyond shuck split, if I remember correctly. Yep. Which, and, which if, if your you know, audience is, is not sure, shuck split is when the outer part of the blossom starts to break away and you see what is actually going to be the developing oh. fruit, whether that's a peach, a plum, a cherry, any of the stone fruit starting to develop inside there. Perfect. I learned something. What's that called? Shuck split. Shuck split. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Yeah, because if you if you look at the blossom, it's kind of like a little bowl, and the reproductive parts are inside it, uh-huh. and then, you know, once pollination has taken place, you start getting the formation of the pit, and then obviously the flesh around the pit that starts to expand, and eventually as that expands, that outer at that point, papery remnant of, of what had been the bloom and the protection for the, you know, the reproductive structures. It's kind of like an expanding balloon and eventually it breaks and just sheds away. Fantastic. So those trees right now are absolutely loaded with peaches so much so that the tall branches are bending. And, you know, I tell people this and I want you to assure them, but I tell people this, we have to remove a lot of that fruit before it before it ripens. Otherwise, all those branches are going to break. How do you tell you're, people you're about that? Ab- you're absolutely right. Most fruit trees under normal circumstances only need to ripen 
10% of the blossoms on the tree, if all the blossoms were pollinated, getting rid of 90% of those blossoms and keeping 10% would give you a, a total crop, a full crop. Wow. If you, if you leave too much on the tree, one, you can weaken the tree, and as you said, the branches will start to bend over. They may even break if it's too heavy. Right. The other thing, you know, the tree only takes up so much nutrition through its roots and, and you know, photosynthesis through its leaves. Right. It just cannot support all of those. So what you're going to get is a lot of tiny fruit. Mm -hmm. If you take a lot of that fruit off at the appropriate time, and the, and the time to be doing that is what around here in Michigan, and it probably occurs earlier in Arizona, around what we call June drop. That's when, say, damaged fruit or poorly pollinated fruit will naturally shed. You'll see a stage where, and I hear this from new growers all the time, like, oh my gosh, my tree had all these great blossoms on it, and all of a sudden all the fruit's on the ground. Uh-huh. It looks like it's on the ground, but that's actually nature's self-protection for that tree. Mm -hmm. It is already starting to thin some of what it cannot support. Sometimes it does not thin enough, and so especially as homeowners when we're you know, dealing with a limited number of trees, our best bet is to go in and literally by hand remove more of them. It's a good time also, like if some early season pests have damaged the fruit, remove the damaged fruit. There's no oh, point yeah. in leaving those for the tree to have to try to feed. Save the good ones, get rid of the, you know, the, the insect-damaged ones. Right. And typically you want to have a fruit about every six inches, and this is kind of a general mm. rule of thumb. It varies a little bit depending on whether you have plums or peaches or apples or whatnot. The only fruit, and I should put this in here, the only fruit that does not benefit from thinning is cherries. You do not need to and should not even thin cherries at all. But any of the other fruit, thinning in most years helps. And you want the fruit to be about six inches apart. So if you take your hand, and if you can visualize this, spread your thumb and your pinky finger out about as far apart from each other as you can. Uh -huh. And you've got about roughly six inches, and that's a handy little ruler out oh, there in the perfect. field. And you just go down your branch and, you know, make sure you've got a fruit every six inches and remove everything else in between. Oh, that's perfect. Both James and I are sitting here looking at our right hands and kind of doing that measure. It's like, oh, that's perfect. That's a great way of doing and it. And I'm holding mine out as I talk to you so I can describe it. <laughs> But it's, it's the easiest way to, you know, to kind of do it, and, and you get it about right that way. Yeah. So for me, I do the lazy person's uh, way of doing it. I just go out and shake the tree. Well, you can, and, you know, and you can start there because that will take some of it off, yeah. and that's a way to get rid of some of it so that you don't have to do everyone individually. Yeah. Shake some off. In some cases, people will even take like a broom handle with a, you know, an old bicycle tire inner tube on it and just kind of wrap the branches a little bit to see what they can shake off. Oh, yeah. And then you go in and, and you, you know, do the detail work, so to speak. Right. Right. Perfect. So I have a question for you. And this is, uh, this is one I've, I threw out a lot. And it, why should I grow a fruit tree if I can go to the grocery store or the farmer's market and get, you know, get the fruit? Right. Well, my first and foremost thing would be, of course, flavor and freshness. Mm. If you've got it right outside your back door, you can keep it on the tree until it is at its very, very, very best. 
There's just no beating that. <laughs> you know, it, it may be soft, it may be juicy, but it is going to taste fabulous. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's reason number one. You know, the other thing is the farmer's markets very often will have some varieties that you don't find in the grocery store. But the grocery stores, basically, you're going to find six to ten of the major commercial varieties, and it really doesn't matter where in the country you are. That's pretty much the rule of thumb. Right. Um, you're not going to find anything particularly unusual. But if you're growing your own at home, <laughs> you may be able to grow some, you know, that have a unique flavor characteristic or maybe you really love to do apple pies and you like a really firm apple or something. So you can choose a variety that is really well suited for pies or you want to keep some throughout, you know, the the winter and into this time of year. I mean, I have apples still stored away that were picked this fall and that are still great to eat. But you have to pick the right variety that has a good storage quality. Yeah. So, so that's another reason that you you know want to want to grow them at home, right? Um, and just frankly, the convenience of having them right there. All of a sudden, you know, your friends call up. Oh, we're coming over tonight. You want to make a nice fruit dessert of some kind? Do you want to run to the store or the farmers market that may not even be happening right then, or do you want to just go out in the backyard, pick a bowl full, and <laughs> make up something really special? Nice. Talking about picking something really special today. Uh, you remember that mulberry tree out in the back? back 40 mm-hmm. of the urban farm yeah so they're ripe yeah. and Heidi and I were Already? out there today wow. oh yeah well actually they've been ripening Great. since uh, mid-March interestingly enough and we've we've been picking uh, buckets of them we're, I'm, a, I'm making mulberry jam here really soon oh that sounds fabulous yeah. I'm, I'm envying you because believe it or not we aren't even in bloom yet here in Michigan mm, right no, we we have about three to four weeks, probably just before Mother's Day, when our apricots will start blooming, and then our cherries. Mm. How interesting is that? So, our apricots will be ready at Mother's Day. Lucky you! <laughs> I know. You know what? My three favorite days of the year are first day of peaches, first day of apricots, and first day of navel oranges. So You know, I, I can fully understand why I envy you because, of course, I can't grow those oranges. I wish oh, I yeah. could, but they're yeah. one, of, one of those fruits that unfortunately doesn't do so well in our cold climate. Yeah. There you go. So when is the best time to plant fruit in my garden? That will depend a little bit, frankly, on where people live. If you are living in what's called the northern tier of the country, essentially anything north of the Mason-Dixon line, if you will. Early early spring, right about now, mid-April, once snow is gone, the soil is not too wet from any rain or snow melt, but things are still cool because you want the root system to develop, and roots develop in cool temperatures and cool soil. So, you know, once you can get onto the soil, but it's in good condition. You want to be planting your trees. You want the trees dormant, preferably, when you plant them. Right. Because you, that'll give the roots more chance to grow and develop before it has to support a lot of leaf area. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in your much warmer southern climates, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, the southeast, you're obviously planting a lot of your temperate zone fruit trees, what, January, February, yep. and your citrus Exactly. Somewhere around March. In once, March. You know, that's once ex- your that, cold danger is done. Yeah, that's so it. So it does, it, it does depend on on where where you are and what your climate's like. Yeah, 
So and I actually had a I had an intended answer for that one, and I thought I, I was I was kind of telepathically sending it over to you. Um, the old adage, uh, the best time to plant a tree is now and twenty years ago. That is also true. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> now now for your grandchildren, and twenty years ago for your children, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So where can we get your book? It's obviously available on my website, mm -hmm. StellaAuto.com. And also, I love for people to support independent bookstores. They can, it's available through my distributor. They can order it if they do not have it in stock. It's also available on your typical online yeah, sources perfect. Um, that perfect. everybody is familiar with. Perfect. Let's just shout those out. Let's see. It's the Backyard Berry Book and the Backyard Orchardist, two incredible books. Thank so, you. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to shift on you and I want to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Well, fortunately, in terms of the actual growing of trees, I've been very lucky and I haven't felt like we've had enormous failures. Sometimes they've been a little bit of a work in progress and we mm -hmm. change our track a little from one you know, year to the next based on small things that we've learned. But the one thing that I guess if I wanted to look at a failure, my husband and I owned a commercial orchard for 10 years, and we did end up giving that orchard up because, unfortunately, Reaganomics came along, and we were young farmers that were had been eligible for farm financing programs at 4 mm -hmm. to 5% interest, right. and in those days, that was a low interest rate. We were being told we needed to go out in the commercial market, and the commercial interest rates were double digits, 16 17%. Yeah. When you do the math, <laughs> that just was not going to cut it. So we decided that, it, you know, we just were not going to make it on that, and we ended up, unfortunately, having to make the decision, you know, of not relying on the quote-unquote financing from the government uh -huh. and you know biggest thing I guess that we learned from that obviously is that that food and farming in this country is highly political yeah thank <laughs> yeah it's probably an understatement um, but that's one of the reasons that I really came to believe strongly that people individually need to get back to understanding how to grow their own food and be self-sufficient in that manner because Honestly, the political situation has not improved in those 25 years since we gave up the farm. Yeah. And if you really want to control whether you have the food you want and the quality of food, your your best bet is, is to take responsibility for that and, and learn to grow some of it yourself. And especially with fruit being a high-value crop, mm -hmm. um, you know, I very much advocate particularly growing the high-value crops, the ones that if you want good quality, you're going to pay an arm and a leg for at the grocery store. But they really are not that hard to grow yourself once you learn the basic principles. And so that's why I spent my last 25 years encouraging people to do that. Perfect, because fruit trees and berry bushes are really easy to grow, aren't they? Really, they are. You know, a lot of people seem scared of the fact or are a bit intimidated by the fact, perhaps, that they are perennial as opposed to a vegetable, stick the seed in the ground, and if it fails, try again next year. But really, fruit and, veg uh, fruit and berries are not that much more difficult to grow than herbs or vegetables once you, as I said, understand some of the basic yeah. 
necessities of doing so. Yeah. You know, providing them with a, a weed-free, nutrient-rich soil environment, keeping them pruned, understanding what pests and diseases may develop, and, and handling those in a proactive way before they get out of hand. And that's, that's basically yeah. what you're looking at. And all of that can be done organically. Yes. Yes, it can. Yeah. That's the bonus. So what do you consider your biggest success? Well, I guess the fact that I've been lucky enough to share my knowledge and a lot of my hands-on growing experience and teaching over 100,000 people how to take those steps to become more food self-sufficient and to enjoy doing so, yeah. you know, through the reach of my books, I've, I've been able to, to touch many, many people's lives and gardens, and, and I, I'm proud of that. Nice. Nice. And what drives you? What's your big why? Again, I guess, you know, as I said, I I really like to see people be Mm -hmm. self-sufficient. I'm a big, big believer in personal responsibility and very much that philosophy of teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Give him a fish and he'll only eat for a day. Yeah. So I, I really, I like to teach that person to garden, to grow the fruit and, you know, the other edibles that that will keep them going. Yeah. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there a book or two or maybe even three that have really uh, impacted your life in this arena? You're going to make me narrow it down to just one book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also a big believer in lifelong learning. So I'm constantly looking for new information. I could be, you know, maybe considered a little bit of a information junkie. So honestly, to tell you one book, I'd have to say no, but I think that there are a number of books that have had big impact on our environment, our relationship with food, obviously, you know, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring and awakening us to what are we doing to our environment and being conscious of when we do something, we have an impact, good or bad, and we need to be responsible for that. Mm -hmm. Michael Pollan, of course, has written a number of books, Botany of Desire, Omnivore's Dilemma, Food Rules, that all visit various issues of how we regard our food, how we interact with it, you know, and how our food nourishes us or not based on, you know, how we're handling its growing. I think those have all been very important books and one that I really also like and I highly recommend to anybody that's doing their own gardening is a book called The Intelligent Gardener by Steve Solomon because he really has looked at and experimented with the real root of what makes nutritious food and it really comes down mm. to first we need a nutrient rich soil, soil, a healthy soil. Yeah. And, you know, he really delves into how do you get that, what do you need to do to nurture the soil so that then that obviously is transferred to the plant, transferred to the food, transferred to those of us that eat it. So I think that's a really important book for anybody who wants to, you know, truly understand if they're growing food for their own health. I think that's a book very worth reading. Perfect. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Just one, huh? I think, I think it comes back to, you know, what I was saying earlier, you certainly can grow the large majority of your own food, and I, I want you to, to know that, and it is not a difficult thing to do. But as I said, start small, you know, learn as you grow, and then grow more as you learn more. 
don't be afraid to fail or to try because failing is really part of the experience of where you learn the most and never yeah. stop seeking to learn more. Yeah. And I, and with Urban Farm U and everything that I'm up to, I am so wholeheartedly on board with you on that. I'm a, I am too a lifelong learner and yeah, yay to that. So thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Stella. It's been a treat chatting with you. Well, I've really enjoyed visiting with you, and I hope if, if in signing off here you let me just encourage your visitors again to come and visit my website at the Backyard Fruit Gardener Perfect. at StellaAuto.com. And I wanted to tell you about a special little thing that I am launching as of the beginning of May. Please. Um, any. Anybody that is signed up as a subscriber to our website, and we, you know, we send periodic little updates and reminders to what to do in your fruit garden, or you know, informational things that people can use. Each month, I am going to randomly choose one email off off of our list uh-huh. and contact that person, and they will be given the opportunity to send me their challenges, questions, you know, ask for advice, whatever it might be that will help them with their fruit garden, and they'll get a personal response from me to hopefully answer their questions and help them make their fruit garden more successful, and I'm also going to be publishing those questions and answers so that, of course, all of our community of fruit gardeners can benefit from that question, but if people would like the potential chance to be the lucky winner some months of being able to ask their own personal question that will help them with their fruit garden. I hope they'll come and visit us and Perfect. sign up on our website. Yes, please. And I, I'm on your website right now. It's a beautiful website, by the way. And that Thank is you very much. Absolutely. That's Stella Auto, S-T-E-L-L-A-O-T-T-O.com. And um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful website. So go check that website out and uh, send Stella your questions forward to having folks come and visit and hear it from you. Perfect. So, and, and they can get a hold of you on your website as well? Yes. Yeah, there's a contact right on there and that's what you can use to contact me. Fantastic. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.